everybody, Kevin Wagstaff here. This is part two of a two-part episode with Sheehan Thompson. If you missed the first part, just go back and uh, play that if you kind of want to hear a little bit about his story, his entrepreneurial journey. Uh, really great story, so rec- highly recommend it. Um, but if you're just here for part two, that's cool too. So I hope you enjoy the next hour of my conversation with Sheehan. I kind of got other agents, uh, but even to this day, we're really not good at um, agent retention. We have a lot of one and dones with the column where they just do one job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really have a follow-up process cause I've gotten busy with managing things. And so there's a lot that we're missing out on. And I think if we actually had a marketing person, um, I don't want to, I don't want people to think like, Oh, let's do it the way Sheehan did. And he didn't have to talk to any agents or go into a real estate office. Um, if I would have done that, from the beginning, I'd probably be at 4,000 inspections a year instead of 1,700. Right. So it's important to do both um, because the online stuff gives you security. If the market crashes and you lose agents, then you still have that security. of You don't want to be at like 97% agent referral. Right. Um, so you want a good mix um, of referrals. But yeah, starting out, it was just taking that leap and serving an agent. I mean, if you could serve a real estate agent, if they, they're always posting stuff like, Hey, we have a, an open house. Like what can I do to help you at your open house? Or, Hey, we're having this event, like show up and say, Hey, how can I help? And if you're serving, if you you have like a servant mindset and you're not expecting anything in return, then they're probably going to use you for at least one inspection and kind of get you in the door. So refreshing to hear that. I want to like underscore that the servant mentality and a lot of people, not not just inspectors, entrepreneurs, we got to take the ego out of it, right? Because you got to take the ego out to say, Hey, how can I help you? I'm going to give you value first. And that's like a consistent theme I've heard with lots of high growth companies, lots of high performing inspectors is they take the ego out and say, Hey, how can I help? Yeah. Like, and that's, and that, that's a rich dad, poor dad concept. He says, if I can serve more people by having an apartment complex with 30 doors, then I make more money because you're serving more people versus having one house. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing. MJ DeMarco says it's the law of, he, he doesn't really like the law of attraction because he's like, you can't just sit there and think good thoughts and things are going to happen <laughs> right. for you. So he, he has something called the law of affection. The more people you affect, the more money you make. So we kind of have to, you know, we need money, but don't think about money. It's kind of hard to do that, but think about how can I serve somebody or how can I help them? And then the, the law of affection and the law of reciprocity say that those things are going to come back to you. Yeah. Yep. And that's the, and the beauty of it is that, or the irony, I guess, of it is that <clears throat> it's not necessarily, I was going to feel like the most scalable thing to go to one realtor's event and help set stuff up, spend a few hours. Right. But I'm sure you have plenty of stories. Guess what? That realtor knows 10 other realtors and they may exactly. just say, Hey, she was super helpful. Great guy. Boom. And that's, yeah. It. And that's where you have to leverage relationships um, and go after the, don't be afraid to go after the big fish. Like I've always gone after the big fish. That's how I got my, my CTL. He's a pretty big fish and mm-hmm. uh, people are scared and they're hesitant to go after the, the people on the top. Like oh, I'll just go after the agent who does five a year. But if you go after the top agent and you can um, work in a way that they like, or you can, and you have to be open to like, say, what do you want us to do? Like, how do you want us to do the inspection? Or what do you not like about what a home inspector does? And then you have to adjust, like they're a customer and you have to adjust your product to satisfy the customer. 
you know, you're not going to do anything unethical, um, but you're going to, like, for instance, with a furnace being too old, I used to put that in red. Mm-hmm. And the agents and the sellers would say, well, is it broken? No. Then why'd you put it in red? Because now the buyer's asking for it to be replaced, but it's working just fine. So I thought, okay, what can we do? And so I came out with uh, an orange um, colored text. Mm-hmm. It still goes in the summary. And so now it lets them know, and it's in orange. So it says, you know, keep an eye on it, make sure you service it more often, and you may have to replace it while you're living in the house. And then they stopped bugging me about it being in red. And then the next thing came along, hey, we don't like how you do this. Okay, what can we do to fix it? So go after the top agents and then ask them, hey, what did you like about what we did? What didn't you like? Do you have any feedback for me? And then don't be afraid to change but stay, still stay within your, um, your integrity and, and mm-hmm. all that. But you can't just say, this is how my report is. That's how I do it. Deal with it because you're not going to succeed and grow if you do that. Great. Amazing advice. And I think it, it's, I'm not stepping out of line saying, yeah, home inspectors can be hardheaded sometimes and stubborn and stuck in their ways. And so I just love the curious mindset though of asking questions. I think anytime you're asking questions, you're learning. Um, and that's not surprising given your history and everything you've done. So great advice. Um, let's jump into, let's jump into blip. Cause I'm, I'm super fascinated by you grow this uh, home inspection company in a couple of years, great growth. And then you cross over into the software, um, you know, a different business and world. How did that come about? So as my stories say is that I've always been infatuated with automation and software and the leverage that you have where you can just turn something on and it can work for you even while you sleep. Right. The problem with home inspections is that once you finish the job, um, that customer is not going to move for another seven to eight years. And even if they use you, like that's a long time. So you're <laughs> always fighting for business. Uh, the best thing to do is to find a recurring monthly revenue where you can you know, charge your customer multiple times. A home inspection People have been trying to do that for years, trying to figure it out. Um, so software, just I just love, I love computers. I love leverage. I love technology. I love that it works 24 hours a day. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that I found out going to home inspection conferences, I don't even know I went to one in the first place because there are people there. Um, and I don't really like to be where people are. <laughs> But I think, I think what happened is that I got a free ticket to uh, an InterNACHI conference in 2014. Um, and so I went, it was in Vegas. So like the flight was super cheap because it's a, like an hour flight. And so I decided to go. And there were a lot of vendors there that um, I'm like, wow, I didn't know this existed because my grandpa never went to conferences and I, I just didn't know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also learned and met other home inspectors. So I was able to talk to them and a lot of them, like if you talk to a home inspector, it's really surprising. It's like, why are you doing it that way? Like there's this way. Like, <laughs> are you serious? I didn't know you could do it that way. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, can you show me how? And I'm like, yeah, it takes five minutes. Here's how you do it. Um, and so they're, they're very, home inspectors are very learning based. And so if you could help them with something to run their business, they eat it up. And so I, and I love being a teacher. I like, I like teaching. Um, I like to teach at church. I like to teach my kids things just because of that. 
that light and that curiosity when someone's learning something new. Um, so I'm, you know, I showed these inspectors how to do a follow-up email with a Google link or, you know, just show them how to do something that they weren't doing. And they just like, a lot of the times they're like, that just changed my entire business or that just saved me two hours a day. Or, um, so I kind of got addicted to helping inspectors um, by showing them kind of the software side and the website side of things that I was doing. And so I was at a meeting um, with inspectors or about 30 of them in the room and each of us would get up and kind of say, you know, this is what we're, this is where we're at. This is what we're working on this is what we need help with. And so I got up there and said, this is where I'm at. Um, and I said, 35% of my business is from Google. And I kind of kept going. And one of the inspectors interrupted me and said, wait, you mean three to 5%, right? Not 35%. And I said, no, 35%. And he, he's been, uh, he's had his business since I think he's like 20 years, 22 years. So, and I was like, well, what are you guys doing? Like, isn't that typical 35%? And they're like, no, like nobody does that. So they went around the room and it was all like under 5%, if anything at all from right. online. And that kind of, I was, it's like reverse of what I was doing. I was like, I don't understand how you guys don't get business online. And usually we have like 30 to 45 minutes to speak. And so I think it was, I was about an hour in when I said that we were supposed to eat dinner. And so I think I went for another hour just telling them everything about websites and they didn't know what, like the difference between traffic and conversion. They didn't know anything about lead generation. Uh, they didn't know what a sticky menu was. <laughs> just, they just didn't know any of that. And so we went to, they finally said, we need to go eat. And so they got their food and came back. And I spent another two hours um, talking about technology and software that I was using to make things easier. And so, you know, I had 45 minutes and I spoke for four hours. <laughs> and they were just like riding furiously. And some of them, their eyes were glazing over. And several times I'd say something that was very common in like internet marketing. And they're like, wait, what was that that you just said? And I'm like, this, this is crazy. You guys don't know this stuff. But inspectors are, are, are technicians. Right. They're engineers. Um, so they don't know software and technology. So I like opened up my eyes to what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And that they've been doing it for 20 years. And I'm like, you know how much time you could have saved in 20 years if you had just done this? <laughs> right. And so they're kind of mad because they're like, really, that's all I have to do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I did that. And then the next meeting I had the same thing. I'm like, well, if they don't know about these things, I wonder if they know about these. So I kind of talked about some other softwares like gravity forms that you can create forms and on your, on your webpage. And they're like, well, what do you use that for? And I'm like, well, uh, my inspectors have a checklist at the end of the inspection. They, they open up the app that is the web page. And then they're, they're like, wait, what is an app that's a web page? And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like you save it as an app on your phone. And they're like, so it's an app? And I'm like, well, no, it's a web page. And they're like, I didn't know about that. And so then I teach them about that. Um, but I'm like, my inspectors have a checklist that says, are the lights off? And they have to tap with their finger, a check, check mark is the thermostat returned to what it was. Is the door locked? Um, do you have your tools? 
um, did you submit, did you ask the client for payment? And so the inspector just opens the app, checks those off, hits submit, and it sends me an email with, with what they filled. Um, and then with payment, they can upload the check so we can put the check number and mark it paid. Um, if they need more tools or materials, I have a, a tools and material requisition form that they can, I need more batteries. How many do you have left? When do you need them by? So I, I probably use today, I probably use 32 or 40 forms with gravity forms. And so I probably spend an hour and a half just on gravity forms mm -hmm. and what you can do with it. Um, so one of those times I, I mentioned, they said, well, how are you getting all your reviews? And I said, well, I just set up a link in ISN, um, which is inspection support network. Uh, so an email template and a text template that said, uh, please take 30 seconds to leave me some feedback. They had a link. Um, with my follow-up calls, I was probably converting a client to a review maybe 15 to 20% of the time, uh, which is really good. Uh, usually it's 3 to 7%. Right. And so they said, can you send me the templates? So I sent them the templates, told them what to do. Um, and then the next meeting, three months later, I, I got up and I said, how many of you did that? And none of them did. Yep. And I'm like, come on guys. And they said, well, they just had excuses why they didn't do it. Yeah, there's always a reason, always yeah. reasons to not do it. So then somebody said, I can't remember who it was, but they said, well, well, can you, can you automate it? And can we, they, they wanted more. They just didn't want, they're like, well, I have to go to Yelp to look at my reviews. I got to go to Facebook. And they're like, I want to be able to, is there a way to see the reviews all in one place? And there were other review software companies um, in the industry, uh, but, but that you had to like open up the app and then manually enter the client's info. One of them, it was like, you enter the client's info, the client gets the link, they open it, then they have to put their info in. I'm like, you're double, you're doing double entry. Like, why do you have, to, why do they have, to? and then they had to leave the review. And then it didn't end up going anywhere because before Google and Facebook reviews, it used to be a thing to just put it on the website. They would just mm -hmm. host it on the website. Mm -hmm. um, so those companies didn't, when reviews came out on Google and Facebook, they didn't innovate and make that an option. So there just wasn't a lot of, um, they just weren't, weren't innovating and weren't advanced and they weren't doing text. Um, so someone said, well, can you automate it and connect it to ISN? I knew ISN had an API uh, that, people could connect to and integrate with. So I went home and I knew WordPress. I don't know how to code. Um, so with WordPress, I built, um, built it in a way that I was actually hacking modal pop-ups to make it fast because a pop-up doesn't have to reload. And I knew that it had to be fast because if it had to reload, you might lose that person. It might not leave a review. Right. But if they push the back button, it would ruin everything because <laughs> they were on the same web page the entire time. It was just it would pop up a pop up, and then they click something else, and it would be a pop up over that pop up. So I kind of hacked it to make it work, and then uh, three months later, I I said I'm done, and they're like, "What the heck? Like we asked you to build that, we didn't know you'd do it in three months." But I was literally working from seven a.m. to two a.m. trying to figure it out. And my neighbor's a software guy, so I'd text him when I'd run into trouble. Mm -hmm. So like the text wouldn't work. And I'm like, hey, Ben, why is this not working? And he's like, well, um, 
mobile doesn't recognize the pound sign in the code. So try it this way. Uh, so then I change it and it work. So I'd ask him a couple of questions. Um, so I had all 30 people sign up at $120 a month, um, like in three days. The problem was, is that I had to custom make the page, um, add their logo to it, add all the links to it. So it took me about an hour or two hours to create each page. Mm -hmm. And so it took me a long time. And then Ben finally asked like, what are you doing? Like you're asking me all these questions. What are you doing? And I said, I've got these inspectors. They want me to help them get more reviews. I created this thing with WordPress. And he's like, wait, how did you do that? I'm like, I just hacked a pop-up plugin. And he's like, that's like ridiculous. He's like, I don't even know how that works. Like, how is that working? I'm like, I don't know, but it's working. And, and I'm like, how, how many, and then I had like another 20 people sign up for it. Cause it was working really well. Like the conversion rate, rates were like 30 to 50%. Uh, compared to most people with ISN, they don't follow up. So they were getting like a less than 10% and then it was jumping to 30 to 50%. So they were like telling other inspectors about it. More inspectors were signing up and I was just swamped making these pages. And so I said, Ben, how long is this going to last before it like falls apart? And he's like, I don't even know how it's not falling apart right now. <laughs> um, Cause if you think about all the emails and texts that are going out, the, the number of people that are going on there, the traffic, I started having like JavaScript errors for reasons I don't know. And when I had to fix something, I had to fix it or update something. I had to fix it across all users pages. So I remember I had um, a couple of things that broke and I had to go to, through 60 different pages and fix it. And it took me like half a day or the entire day. So he's like, you're insane. And then he's, he's retired. Um, so he sold, he was a part of the scan team. Um, that was a QR scanning app mm -hmm. that went on Shark Tank. Um, and they sold to Snapchat in 2014, I think, for $54 million. So he was a part of that founder team. Um, and he was just doing a couple projects uh, that were freemium software. Mm -hmm. So I think he, I don't think he was being paid anything. So his wife was like, probably overheard him like talking to me, talking stuff through with me over the phone or something. Or she's like, who are you texting? And she's like, our neighbor has created this like messy app with WordPress. It's mm -hmm. not even really an app. And he's making $5,000 a month. And his wife was like, what? Like, why are we doing these other things? If he's asking for help, like he's actually making money, help him. And so he's like, okay. So um, he partnered with me and started building the version that it is now. It took him, I think, four or five months of just, just coding mm -hmm. all day. And it's funny because I have no idea like about software. And so I'm like, how many lines of code have you written, Ben? Like 20,000? And he's like, are you serious right now? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he's like, this is like 350,000 lines and it's not even done yet. And it doesn't even have this. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like Complex. That's, a that's a lot. Yep. Cause I mess with CSS and HTML just on a web page and CSS. If you wanted to move a button or something, it's like two lines or one and he's got 350,000. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, so he did that. We launched it in his version, February of uh, 2018 
um, sort of coming up on two years. And uh, once he did that, we, we actually, I went to the inspection world in Orlando in January before he had finished it. And I had him send me screenshots of the software and I was demoing it as if it were actually working. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, this is what the client sees. So I screenshotted pictures of the review side options and I would just swipe and I'm like, and then when they click this, this happens. So it didn't even work. And we sold probably 38 um, at inspection world and we didn't even have anything like they didn't even have a sign up page. So I had to have them fill it out on a card with their credit card information. And then I just had them sitting until Ben was ready to launch it. So it was kind of crazy. Cause he's like, wait, you're going to this conference. We don't even have anything yet. And I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll just have them fill it out and I'll tell them it'll be ready in a month. True entrepreneur fashion doing the pre-sales. Like that was a, my brother and I quick tangent listened to a podcast called startups for the rest of us. And we were building Spectora and kind of going through the journey and they were so big on like, Hey, can you prove it out by pre-selling? If you can pre-sell and get even 10 people's credit card numbers, you have something. So that's amazing. That's so cool that you did that. Yeah. And it was nice because as a home inspector, like it's, it's weird because you know, home inspectors are like come up and their arms are crossed and they're like, what is this? (laughs) And I'm like, how should get reviews? And they're like, I don't need reviews and I have to like explain to them why they're important. But then I'd say, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm a home inspector. I've got four inspectors and they're like, Oh yeah, you're a home inspector. Yeah. They're all relaxed. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Tell me about it. (laughs) It's crazy. Cause they're like, if you speak their language or you've been what been through what they've been through there, cause usually they're like vendors don't know what we do. Right. They don't know what we want. They don't know how we want things. So if you can like stand next to, uh, your customer and look at something together instead of you sitting across from a table, uh, things change drastically. So um, I said, yeah, I'm a home inspector. This is my business. This is how many reviews I have. This is how much business I get from my reviews. And that made it a whole lot easier to talk to them and, and to get them to buy into it. Um, and then from there, I mean, a lot of software companies or companies in general, they think that they know what the customer wants and they kind of use a blanket statement or they use a, or a blanket feature or a number that, well, if this many people want it, then we'll do it. Um, and Ben probably hates me because I'll say, hey, Ben, can we do this? And he's like, well, who wants that? And I'm like, just someone asked me. And he's like, one, one person? I'm like, yeah, but I think other people would use it too. And then he does it reluctantly. And then everybody's like, this is amazing. So you have to kind of... It's hard. I think with, with anything, we think we know what the customer wants or we kind of hold back because we don't want to invest the time in something. Uh, but when you're, when you're the customer and you know what the customer wants, um, it's, it's easy for you to kind of project that out and say, well, is someone else going to want this? And is this going to benefit? Is this, is this, are we going off mission here? Right. Um, like a home inspector doing something weird like becoming a real estate agent is probably not a good idea but like like entertain it be curious about it say why do you want that how will this help you um and i think that treating your customers as an individual and saying okay what is it that you need is going to help you a lot because if you can help that one person they're going to tell everybody about it like we've had people say hey can you add this review site option like we have random people signing up like attorneys and stuff and I'm like, yeah, let me, let me work on adding that um, review site. And then 
I tell Ben, Hey, add this. And he adds it. And then like two hours later, I'm like, all right, it's done. And then they're like, Whoa, like, that's amazing. Huge. Then they tell everybody or somebody else says, Hey, can it do this? I'm like, let me see. And I asked Ben, he's like, yeah, I can do that right now. And I'm like, okay, it's done. Like there's the level of customer service, the perceived customer service and the customer service are just like blown away. And I don't think we have any real angry users where we said, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, we might have one that had like a crazy idea, but <laughs> yeah, I'll think about it and say, can other people benefit from this? Is it something that's, that's going to work for everybody or, and then we'll do it. So you guys um, have attorneys, lawyers, plumbers, so that you have other people that utilize blip. Yeah. So, you know, inspectors know everybody. So it's kind of a nice place to start. Um, mm-hmm. So they would, a lot of times the inspector would do an inspection. The client gets the text. And if the client's an HVAC tech or a plumber or a real estate agent, then they say, Hey, what software is this that you're using? And then they tell them, and then they come to our website, get a free demo, sign up. So we have a couple of um, weird, we have like a uh, lady that does like spiritual healing or something mm-hmm. like Reiki and stuff that uses it. Uh, we've got a, like an upholstery company or carpet company uh, in Iowa that uses it. Uh, we've got some window cleaners that clean my house mm-hmm. while they were cleaning my house. I um, set up an account for them. And then when they were done, I said, Hey, come check this out. And I'm like, hey, download the app, send, send it. And then they started using it. Um, Very cool. So we have a lot of weird, the, pro- the problem with, with, with it is that you have to do it manually unless you have a software to integrate it with. Right. Nobody wants to do anything manually or they forget. Right. So a lot of agents that we've signed up, they do so little volume and they have to pull out their phone and remember to send it after closing. So they just end up canceling. Right. But if you can streamline it and integrate it and automate it, then they don't even think about it. I've had people that have used the software for two years and then they come in the chat and they're like, Hey, I don't know what my password is. And then they're like, to be honest, I've never logged in because <laughs> so, they were just, you know, seeing the reviews come in. We send them an email when they get one yeah. and they never logged into their dashboard. And so if you can automate it, they don't have to do anything. They see the reviews coming in. Um, that's the best way to do it, which is why we're trying to figure out how can we integrate with other softwares, um, other scheduling softwares and in other industries and that kind of thing. Very cool. Yeah. And our integration will be coming soon. I can say that at this point, by the time we publish this, um, it'll be either in beta or out and I'm super excited about it because we have tons of users asking for it. Um, yeah. If you want to just give a quick, why anyone that hasn't used Blip or heard of it, um, that's a Spectora user, like what, how will this help them? Yeah. The thing about, you know, Spectora is, it was really refreshing, uh, when you guys came out because again, I appreciate streamlined looks good is simple not complicated because again, a lot of people pretty something up for their own ego, mm-hmm. like you said. Um, but when you go to use it, you're like, man, this is terrible. It's clunky. It takes too long. It's hard. It's not convenient. So you guys are all those things fast, convenient, looks great, easy to navigate the report. So, um, I was really excited when you guys came out, um, with your software. And so at, events you guys started gaining traction people would come to our booth and say hey because we'd say oh we integrate with isn and horizon uh, and they said you integrate with spectora um and i'm like no but 
and this is probably part of it is I was like, go bug them. Yeah. About it. That's how it works. That's how integrations in our industry work. <laughs> I'm like, no, not yet, but you know, go bug them and say, Customer demand. we want the integration and yeah. the more people we have, then it's like, if you bug someone long enough, they'll just do it just so they can be left alone. Yeah. So I'm like, go bug them. And we got to the point where we're at like 30 or 50 users that currently use it that are sending them manually. Um, which I, they're, they're very diligent because I look at and they're sending after every inspection. So they've got the process. Yeah. Yeah. But they keep asking like, I'm tired of doing this or they forget okay. or they kind of get start to get lazy. And they're like, if this could be automated, that'd be amazing. I'm like, tell the Wagstaff brothers. Love it. That, that you want it. And then we've had, we have people come to the booth that say, well, we'll sign up once it's integrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, sign up now and send them manually. And they're like, no, we'll just do it when it's automatic because I'm, I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, <laughs> So we probably have another 50 or 60 that have yeah, that have come up to us and they said, I don't want to sign up now, but once it's done. So we, you know, we've got a hundred people at least that, that use Spectora that, that want this integration done. So they'll be excited when we, when we announce it. Heck yeah. And I, and I'm always pounding the table and doing videos and talks and articles on the importance of local reviews and SEO. And you're obviously an expert in this field. Can you speak a little to how getting another 50, 100 Google reviews and then reviews in other places can literally transform your business into kind of what you saw in your early days of 35 plus percent coming in while you're sleeping, while you're with your family? Yeah. So um, it's crazy that the consumer, when they see that you have the most reviews, I don't know if people understand how important reviews are. And I don't, I'm not going to say that people are like me like I base all my decisions off of reviews, Same here. everything yep. like this microphone looked at reviews. What's the best podcasting microphone? Yep. My computer, my camera that I'm on, like everything. Um, and if you go to Amazon, there's a reason why all the products have reviews. And if there's a TV that has 5,000 reviews and it's a four and a half star versus one that has a hundred reviews and it's a three star, you're going to buy the TV with the most reviews and the higher rating. Exactly. So people do that. I think they say that the average person spends 13 minutes looking at reviews before they um, Mm -hmm. go to a company's website even. Uh, And that's important because the first thing they do after they read your reviews, if they're satisfied with what reviews say, the first thing they do is go to your website. So if your website doesn't have a call to action or an easy flow, you're going to lose them. So um, as far as the number of reviews go, once you're, you need to be like, like if somebody has 70 and you're trying to pass them up, you probably need to have like 110 or 120 in order for you to get like steal away with what they're, what they're taking. Yep. I, I think that the map pack, they said that the first uh, spot gets 35% of the clicks. The second one gets 14. The third gets seven. And then obviously all the others, you can do the math and, and know that they don't get many clicks. So you right. want that top spot for that 35% of clicks. Um, and to get there, you need to have a sizable amount above the next person. And if you have a lot, like right now, I think the next person below us probably has 220 reviews and we probably have like 960. So at that point, people are just like, there's not like, why are you thinking about this? They're not, they're not even going to look at the other person's reviews. Whereas if I had 250 and they had 220, they probably look at their reviews too, but if you have way more, they're not even going to look at them. 
yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah, so it's kind of unfair. But again, you have all these people that say reviews don't matter. They matter. And, and from a realtor perspective, because I, for those that don't know, I was a realtor for five years. Even when I recommended a home inspector, my buyers would still go and research it. I asked them. So they still went and looked at reviews. So keep in mind, you can have all the best agent relationships you want. The modern consumer, I think, and millennials especially, still go and look at reviews. Yeah. And I think it's something like 85 or 90% trust a review as much as a personal recommendation. Exactly. So, and you do have that segment of people that, you know, their agent tells them and then they listen, mm-hmm. but most people are just going to either go and look at, look up the person that the agent recommended, or there are articles online that Angie's list has put out and other real estate companies that say, don't trust the recommendation that your agent gave you find your own. Right. So they may have read that. So they're going to find their own. So they're either going to look up your reviews if you're recommended by the agent. And if they're terrible, they're going to find somebody else or they're going to say, I'm not going with my agent's recommendation. I'm going to find somebody else. Right. And I had somebody do that. They called me and said, um, yeah, I found you on Google. Uh, my agent recommended this other inspector. And they started listing off like, do you do the, the agent said that they do this. Do you do that? I said, yes. Uh, do you do this? The agent said they do this. Do you do that? Yes. Uh, do you do this? Yes. I'm like, what was the name of the company? And then he's like, it's like on-site home inspections or something. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> they, hired, they found you twice. Yeah. So the agent recommended me, but then they didn't trust. And so they looked up, found on-site home inspections called. It ended up being the same recommendation. So that's winning. Yeah. So it was kind of funny. What would you say to the inspector um, that says, well, I, I, you know, kind of nervous about it because what if I get a bad review if that's the common objection is it a numbers game and a volume game where you just got to ask everybody if you do good business and you have confidence in your product yeah I mean if you think about it if you have a good experience somewhere you're not going to leave a review it's usually the bad the bad experiences that take the time to leave a review but the numbers say that 70% of consumers will leave your review if you ask them Mm -hmm. so you need to ask everybody because if you look at a, a home inspector, any business has negative reviews and you look at the months that they are apart, they're probably spread out pretty good. Mm-hmm. That probably tells you that they're not asking everybody. They're just having those people that have bad experiences post once every six months. Right. So it looks really bad for the business, but those reviews are spread out over time and they're not asking the people who had a good experience. So it's really detrimental to the business and doesn't really give the consumer a correct idea of what the business experience is like. Yep. So it's a very important to ask everybody and people are scared of getting a bad review. I get bad reviews. I remember the first time I got a bad review, I was sick for like three days and my wife couldn't sleep. And we were just like, Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> like I was devastated. Yeah. I literally couldn't sleep. And then I got a second and it was kind of the same feeling, but a little less. And then by the third and fourth, I'm just like, whatever, I'll just get more good reviews. And I didn't worry about it anymore. The numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important though to like, like read the bad review. Cause is it something that you actually did? Is it a perception of the customer that was incorrect? Like listen to your customers. Don't just say this person's crazy, which some of them are, but don't just blanket statement. This person's crazy. Cause there might be something that you could fix. Like if somebody says, I didn't get my termite report. Okay. Well, we send that separate from the inspection report. Is there a way we can automate that or what you know, what system can we put in place to remember that? Um, or it might be, they missed this and then it's on page 17 and 
maybe you didn't have a picture of it. So can you say like, well, we need to start taking pictures of this or we need to make the report easier to read or we need to make sure to remind them to read their entire report. Like don't always put it on them. Ask yourself, is there something I can do better to make this not come up again? Um, because people tend to avoid and it builds up until when you're at the point where you have so many, like in uh, four disciplines of execution, they call it the whirlwind. All these things that don't really matter, um, like, like bugging you or taking up your time. It's not that they don't matter, but it's just taking up your time. If you address them as they come, say, can we do something better to avoid this in the future? Or how can we make this easier? How can we eliminate this phone call into the office with a, with an automated text reminder? Then you're, you're actually becoming more efficient instead of just piling up this mess as you grow business, because as you scale, that's going to get messy quick. So I, I did a, a presentation on um, office efficiency and um, I came up with a metric of calls per inspection, inbound calls per inspection, which means how many calls, inbound calls need to be done per inspection that you're performing. Mm-hmm. And so our number was two, two phone calls. There was a, a company that had 30 Yikes. per inspection. So if we had 400 calls, um, we did 150 inspections. I think that's, it was, it was 300 and we did 150 inspections. Mm-hmm. They did 150 inspections, but they had like 4,000 phone calls that month. And I'm like, what are people calling you for? And so I told them, make a list, like keep track. If someone calls in, it's the inspector asking where the client is. Okay. How do we eliminate that phone call? Inspector calls in says, I can't find the lockbox." Okay, how do we eliminate that phone call? Um, client calls and says, where's the inspector? How do we eliminate that phone call? <laughs> yes. They show up for the walkthrough. Client calls and says, what time's the walkthrough time again? I can't remember. How do we eliminate that? So if you keep track of those and then create something automated, like let's send a, a text reminder to the client, this is your walkthrough time an hour before the inspection. Done. No more phone call. If we ask the seller's agent or the buyer, or if we call the seller's agent to confirm the inspection, ask them where the lockbox is, then have a note in the software that we say the lockbox is on the gas meter. We send a text to the inspector with all the job information two hours before the job. It's right there. They're not going to call you. They're going to walk right up to it. They're not going to spend 10 minutes looking around for it, wasting time either. Efficiency. Yeah, there's so many inefficiencies that people just keep doing and they don't think about how can we do this better or quicker. And so that saves a lot of time. I don't, I don't remember the original question, but, um, Hey, Hey, you, we went off on an efficiency tangent. It's good. You're good for the industry. Um, it gets people thinking about it. Reviews. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Asking, you brought up such a great point of by asking for reviews every time. And I think this is part of the reason why some inspectors are scared to do it because it holds them fully accountable. It makes them almost exposed on things they're maybe not doing well, but in in the end it makes you better because you can yeah. fix some things. So that's where we were at is if you get a, a bad review and it, you want to look at it and yeah. you want to cl- classify it and say, is this something that that was in the report and they just missed it? Uh, is it something that I missed? I need to call them. Um, but customer feedback is like important. Everything. Yeah. It's because if you're doing a crappy job, your customers might not tell you, and if they do, you should appreciate that because you could probably do it better. 
Um, I remember I got a bad review from somebody. I can't remember why, but it was a one star. And so I called her up and I said, um, I remember her name and I'm like, Natalie, I just wanted to, I'm, I'm the owner of onsite home inspections. I saw your one star review and I just wanted to thank you so much for leaving us a one star review. And she like, was like shocked. And she's like, y you want to thank me? And I'm like, yeah, I just appreciate that, that you went on there and gave us a one star review because you know, that lets me know that maybe we can do something better. And so I kind of wanted to get your take on what happened and kind of tell me what was going on and, and maybe we can figure out how we can do that better. And she spent like 10 minutes talking about it. And, um, and it, it was just at the end, she's like, she's like, well, thank you so much for listening to me and I'll, I'll take that review off and blah, blah, blah. And it was that she was, I'm remembering now, she was a, vet, a veteran and she, she had to get a termite inspection and she had paid for an inspection with a termite inspection and she had to get a second inspection. She was asking for a, a free termite um, mm -hmm. since we didn't send her the, the certificate for her loan. And my office manager said no. And so uh, she was upset about that. And so her review said, you know, they just want more money. They don't care. Um, right. And I'm a single mom. And she kind of had this whole story. And so I called her and I said, yeah, I'm going to let my office manager know that you know, we really appreciate our veterans um, and we want to make sure that you're taken care of. And so I said, I went ahead, went ahead and refunded your inspection fee, um, entire inspection fee. I don't even think I told her. I just refunded it, mm -hmm. uh, which, I, which I like to do that. And that's another thing is that if you have a bad experience, like refund their money and don't tell them about it because they'll see it and they'll be like, whoa. So I didn't tell her I was going to refund her money. Um, but I'm, I will gladly pay $400 for somebody to tell me how my business can be better instead of just like not calling her, accepting the one-star review and then not doing anything about it. Yeah. What a refreshing perspective. I think that's that right there is what, how everyone should look at customer feedback. But yeah, customer, like think of the customer as you just like how, how, like, did we mess up? Could we done, could we have done better? Um, just one other quick story is that this guy left us a bad review and said, they don't even have ladders, um, <laughs> check the roof. They don't even have ladders. And my, I have an extending climb ladder that fits in my, the trunk of my Camry. And so, you know, when they get there at the end, they don't see a ladder. And so, and then it was, it was raining that day. So I didn't get up on the roof, but I did get in the attic. Um, so he said, these inspectors are not prepared. They don't even carry ladders with them. They didn't even check the roof. And so I kind of got in a fight with them. This was kind of early before I learned not to fight with customers. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, logically, I have a picture of your attic because we take a picture of every attic. And I said, I have a picture of your attic. And I was like doing the math and laying it all out. I'm like, your ceilings are eight feet tall. And I got have a picture of your attic. So how do you think I got in there? I have a ladder. It's in my car. So I like logically proved that I have a ladder. And then he, his wife got on and left another one star review saying, <laughs> calling your customer a liar is not a good way to do business. And I'm like, crap, that didn't make it better. Right. <laughs> so I, I kept going in this back and forth and I'm like, well, it was pouring rain. Like I'm not going to get on the roof. I'm going to slip and fall and die. And he's like, like arguing and logically trying to talk your way out of something, out of someone being angry just doesn't work. Doesn't. It doesn't. So we literally exchanged these angry emails back and forth to the point where I finally gave up and I'm like, I'm not going to get him to take these down. Um, I might as well ask him like, okay, well, if you were me, what would you have done? 
And so I asked him, and I said, you know, I couldn't get on the roof. If you were me, like, what would you have done? It was raining. And this is customer gold right here. He says, well, I would have offered to my customer to come out for free to check the roof when it was no longer raining and if it was safe to inspect the roof. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a really good idea. So I told him, that. I was like, wow, that's a really good idea. I think, I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> and so, you know, instead of just taking the money and saying, well, sorry, we couldn't inspect it. So, you know, every year we have snow and we can't get up on the roof. So at the end of the walkthrough, we say, you know, I wasn't able to inspect the roof because of the snow. Call our office when the roof is when the snow's melted and when it's dry and safe for us to go on it and we'll check it out because we know how important the roof is and we'll do it at no cost to you. And maybe 10% of people actually take us up on that. So it's not like, you know, people say like, oh, we can't be going back to a hundred houses a month, but we go back to way less than that. But just that you offered it and people are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And instead of just marking on the report saying you didn't inspect it and then not saying anything about it, you know, we make sure to, to say that at the end and it's been literally customer service gold to say that at the end and people are like that's amazing like you won't charge me to come back out and i'm like nope just let us know when it's when it's dry that's amazing that, that that's that's such a cool story and you know some people may take from this oh you have 900 or whatever reviews just because you asked no like these are the reasons and you probably have 10 other things that you guys do that are just wow like customer experiences yeah, I mean, spend 30 minutes, 30 to 60 minutes to make somebody happy for free. Then you have one, a story. You might have a policy like that that you can then introduce and it's just amazing customer service. But um, like I did an example or an inspection for an agent that was a top agent. Um, the appraiser said, there's a, a water leak in the living room and it needs to be repaired. So the agent calls me and says, hey, was that wet? And I said, no. And he says, you know, and I'm like in the report, it was dry. You know, we ran the shower above it. Um, mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, well, this appraiser, this underwriter is asking for verification that it's not wet and we're supposed to close on the house and they're not letting us close on it. So I said, let me go back out there and I'll take a picture with my moisture meter and an infrared camera and I'll, I'll write up a report and I'll send it to you. And he's like, okay, send me the bill. I'm like, okay. So I drive out there. It's 22 minutes away-ish. Vacant house. I go in, put my moisture meter on the ceiling, take a picture, take two pictures with my infrared camera and leave. So, you know, less than 45 minutes. Um, then I come home and write up a custom letter that says, you know, an inspection was performed on the property address here. Uh, the ceiling in question was checked with a moisture meter and infrared camera and it was dry. Um, and I sent that to him. And he sent it to the underwriter and they approved it and they closed like the next week. And so the underwriter was saying it needs to be fixed. The wall needs to, or the ceiling needs to be cut out and all this stuff. And so now we do uh, what we call uh, appraisal verification uh, inspections where we mm -hmm. go out and take more pictures and then we write up an underwriter letter um, that's all official and has our signature at the bottom whenever they ask us to do something like that. And now that agent tells that story all the time at the, at the office, like I go over to, and he's like, Oh my gosh, this is the inspector that I was telling you guys about with the underwriter letter and we couldn't close. And he went out there and then he's like, you never sent me the bill. And I'm like, yeah, it, I just did it for free. Cause your client paid for the inspection anyways. And now he tells everybody about that. And wow. like, don't, 
don't say like, I'm not going out there unless you pay me $200. Cause like that could, that could make you more than $200. Just doing and it clearly has, and you it know, has. And it yeah, has. clearly has. And that's, that's the risk that most people don't take. Um, because you're giving value first and you're doing it selflessly and without. Yeah. And you have to think people think ROI, like it's, you can't calculate what your ROI is on that. Cause they, right. could, tell. they could tell an agent that does even more business than them. And then you get all their business. Like it's, yeah. People just see like, Oh, I'm spending an hour and I'm making $0, but you can't think of it that way. It's not always cut and dry like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the books we referenced and probably hundreds more try to ingrain that in our heads of like, think of the value you provide people you're affecting kind of the way you put it. Um, yeah. And the, the thank you economy is an awesome book as well for customer service by Gary Vaynerchuk. And he talks about how someone came in and they had an expired coupon to buy a bottle of wine. And I can't remember how much money off on the bottle of wine it was, but it was expired. And I can't remember if it was the manager or if it was his dad that said like, no, we're not honoring it. It's expired. And the customer like walked out and was like, I'm never coming back. But he said if they would have just gave him the $20 off or whatever it was, that that customer would have been like amazed that they honored an expired coupon. They would have told everybody and they would have gotten a lot more business. But they just said, no, it's expired. And the customer left angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could probably find hundreds of examples. Um, man, we've been through a ton. I, I want to respect your time. We've got about five, ten minutes here. But let's let's close with uh, two questions. And I'll ask you a, a, a third one of anything I missed. But the first one, let's just for entrepreneurs in general, because I know our, our big first segment was kind of just the entrepreneurial journey. What what advice or themes would you, you know, impart on anyone that it's just like, just like you, not just like you in terms of circumstances, but has that burning desire to just start something, but don't have the opportunity yet or don't know where to go. What would you tell them? I think a lot can be said of just doing something. Um, and I know, you know, everybody's behavior is different. Some people have to plan stuff out perfectly before they are comfortable with taking action. I do that sometimes where, you know, I buy all the equipment and then I don't do anything with it for two years. <laughs> and it, Because I say, well, I don't have the tools to do it. And then I buy all the tools and then I still don't do it. Like there's so many things that I'm like, if I just buy a treadmill, then I'll use the treadmill. <laughs> if you, if you could pan over to my treadmill, I've maybe used it twice in a right. year, but we all get caught up on tools. Okay. And, and then the second thing is like, I, if I just knew how, if I had the strategy of how to do it, um, if someone just told me the exact steps of how to do it, like people do that. They're like, eat it. If you want to lose weight, this is what you eat. But still we don't do it. So it's like, we've given you the tools. We've told you how to do it, but you still don't do it. And it goes back to the why it's like, you're not sufficiently motivated to do it. And I'll tell a brief story about that is that you know, I, I never, I, I haven't worked out since high school and I got to the point that my boys are now uh, seven and five and then I have a daughter that's three and, um, you know, they'll fall asleep on the couch or whatever. I got to take them to their bed and oh my gosh, like they're getting heavy. And so I was like, I'm getting winded taking them down the stairs. And then, you know, we're starting to play catch in the backyard or starting to play basketball with them. And I'm just like, just out of breath after like five minutes 
So, you know, you could say, I'm going to go to the gym. Why do you want to go to the gym? Because I want to look hot or I want to look toned or whatever. It's not good enough. Um, it, it wasn't until I'm like, my boys are missing out on experiences with me because I'm out of shape that finally kicked me into gear. And you also have to get like kind of get some accountability. And, and so I hired a trainer who I pay and he expects me to be there. And so that works for me because I'm not, you know, I'm not going to let somebody just sit there and I'm not going to be late. And if I'm paying somebody then I'm going to actually do it because I'm investing money into it. Yep. But if I were to buy, I bought a gym membership, you know, at Gold's Gym, it's a two-year contract, went once, spent all this money, but no one expected me to be there. Right. And it wasn't enough money. So you have to create some forced accountability. And I have, I've, in, in, I've been doing this for a little over a year working out with my trainer and I haven't missed a day because I've set it up to where I have my why I'm doing it. I want to be in shape so I can, you know, spend time with my boys. We went to Disneyland and I literally had to carry them around. Um, this was after I started working out and I didn't, I wasn't out of breath. I was able to carry them around. They were falling asleep. And I was like, this is really nice to not be winded just <laughs> five feet. Yep. So you have to have a reason, something that, like I said, wakes you up or something that's going to get you to the gym, something that motivates you. That's like a higher purpose or, um, and that's, that's what people need. They don't need tools and the how to, they need a compelling reason why, why would I do that? And so if anybody wants to do anything, you need to start with that why, because, you know, you have a little bit of why probably because you're thinking about it. You're, you're thinking I need to do this thing. So sit down and stop and think about why, like what made you want to start to do that thing? Um, and if you don't have a good enough reason, you need to figure one out because times are going to be hard. You're going to want to give up. You're going to have obstacles. You're going to have people ask you to do things you don't want to. Uh, you're going to have to do things you don't want to. And if it's not strong enough, you're just going to say, all right, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't have a compelling enough reason why, but I would, I would not stand in front of agents or, or talk to people or there's so many things that, that I've done outside of my comfort zone that I wouldn't normally do if I didn't have that in the back of my head, this is why I'm doing it. And this is what's driving me. And I'm fine with being uncomfortable for an hour or two or more to be able to be comfortable in five or 10 years. And so that's kind of what I would say to those people is to find out what your why is and just start doing something. Even if it's preparing, like getting more knowledge about the thing that you want to do, um, whatever it is that you want to do. If you want to become a cook or do a, a cooking YouTube channel, start buying recipe books, start figuring out, like just do something to where when the opportunity presents itself then you can do it or start failing. Like if you look at a lot of famous people that have done videos or something like that, they're really, if you look at the, the, the first ones they did are terrible. Yeah. Like low quality, they're stuttering, they're, but they just kept doing it. And Gary Vaynerchuk says this, he's like, I will take every single interview because it gives me experience. I don't care if only 60 people watched it Yeah, because he's learning. And if he does that all the time, then he gets good at it. He hears the same questions. He knows his answers. And now he's a really good speaker because he's just done it so much. Yeah. And I heard it in a book recently, objects in motion, like the simplest form, objects in motion tend to stay in motion. And it's right. like, you start moving, you'll keep moving. You'll keep yep. moving. Um, wonderful advice. So now let's go inspector specific um, for, let's, let's, you can tailor this how, you can take this question however you want. Just in, 
advice for any inspectors that are listening and you can go brand new inspector, mid career inspector, multis. Um, cause I think you have wisdom to impart on all of them, but I'll let you run with it. Yeah. So I think with individual inspectors, you know, I got caught up so much in the technical side of things and I mean, you need to do a good home inspection. You don't have to do a perfect home inspection. And there are inspectors that just heard that and they're like cringing. <laughs> um, but if you think about McDonald's is a multi-billion dollar company, they make a nasty hamburger. But if you go to the drive-thru, it's packed. And Five Guys, which is a way better hamburger, is not as packed as McDonald's because McDonald's right. is efficient, convenient, and we would rather have the convenience and efficiency of going to McDonald's for a lower quality burger than we would then to buy our own beef and cook it at home. Right. So take that into home inspection. Now you can't just kind of willy nilly have this terrible report. I mean, there's obviously a balance there, um, but you don't have to like go into every single detail or this could possibly happen because you know, yeah, someone could possibly slip on that, that linoleum floor tomorrow but that doesn't mean they're replacing it with carpet. Like don't go into so much Infinite. detail yeah. where Infinite you're saying, ways. what if like, well, this fence has sharp points on the, on the top of it. And if somebody fell in the right way, then they're going to get <laughs> impaled. So I'm going to tell them to replace the fence. Like don't read into it so much, but also, you know, make sure you're providing value and you're doing what you should. And you're not just like, I've seen some reports that's like all white space and, uh, everything's in black text and there's no picture or two pictures. So like provide a good report, but don't go like, don't your people are creating reports that should be charging $3,000 for because of the level of detail, but the market cannot sustain that level of detail at the price that they're willing to pay. Right. Like if people were willing to pay $3,000 for an exhaustive report like that, then we'd be doing it more. They're not willing to pay that. They're willing to pay, for a good report for three or four hundred dollars or five hundred, and they're not willing to pay a hundred dollars for a crappy report. So you have to kind of the market it will tell you what works. And, but we have a we, we have a lot of inspectors that do one inspection, it takes them eight hours and they charge four hundred dollars. It's it's mind boggling to me. Um, gotta get more efficient as an industry, and then and that's the only way guys can survive, make a good living prices. Yeah, and, can go up. And, and it's hard because inspectors want to be perfect. They want to be thorough. And, um, but th the main thing you want to do is just not miss the major stuff, but you don't have to go into the minute level of detail that a lot of inspectors do go into. And like I said, that's gonna make a lot of inspectors cringe, but like, take a look at, take a look at your comments and are you doing something that you shouldn't be doing and being more efficient? Um, so yeah, for new inspectors, I'd say don't get so much into the technical, like know what you're talking about, but don't, I know a lot of people spend a lot of time, like 80% of their time, just trying to figure out how to do a better inspection or be more technical, but really they should be spending 20% of time trying to figure out being technical and 80% of time trying to be more efficient or have, you know, a better process or more convenient for the customer. I couldn't echo that more just based on all the conversations I have and the inspectors that I, the ones that I hear that are constantly growing and succeeding, they focus on the things that move the needle and the things that the 
their customers, which are the home buyers and the agents actually care about. And a lot of times we can have an echo chamber in our industry, I think of just, um, you know, having a contest of who's the best technical inspector when there's a huge wide world that we need to cater to and, and efficiencies that can happen. So great, great, great point. Yeah. And I look at some of them like big companies and most of them have a sample report and you look at it and your report might look better than theirs, but they're doing 4,000 inspections a year and you might have more complaints. So like I said, there's a balance. Like you don't want 50% of your jobs complaining, but if you're getting 2% complaints, you know, spending six hours and you're more efficient and you kind of let go of some things and you get 5% complaints, but you're doing way more volume because you're more efficient. You can do more inspections. Like there's a balance there. You have to figure out, you got to figure out what works and, um, and think about the business side more because the possibilities there are really high. And then if you go to train somebody, you're not going to be happy with, it's like my father-in-law, you're not going to be happy with how they, they do it because they don't do it as good as you because you've made it so difficult to train them <laughs> yes. the way that you do it because you're too thorough. And so when you go to train them, they're like, oh my gosh, like this is impossible for me to, to do this. And then you get upset, then you fire them, then you say, this isn't working, I'm just going to do it on my own. And then you never have your time freedom back. Like the whole purpose of starting a business for me was to have time and money freedom. You can't, like I know some inspectors working one of them did, I want to say 600. No, I did 620 inspections by myself. That was crazy in a year. Uh, but someone else posted recently, they did 800. And I'm like, they don't have any help. But it's, it's, it's probably because they don't think that somebody can do a good job. You know, it's like, does your wife still, you know, is our wife still around their kids care? You know, it's like, you have to ask these other quality of life questions when someone looks at that as a badge of pride. Yeah. And like I said, don't, don't, they're not going to be you. They're never going to be you. You could spend hours with them, years with them. They're never going to do your report exactly how you do because they're not you. So what level are you comfortable at and what systems do you have in place to make sure that they're staying at that level of quality? Like I mentioned 85% before. And I'm happy if they can do 85%. They're going to get a hundred percent they need to get 100% of the red items, the major stuff, but 85% of the, report, of the rest of the report is going to look 85% as, as mine. We need to be okay with that. Because if you look at their report and say, well, I would have done this, 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 and it's minor stuff, and you make them change it, it doesn't really matter. So I think inspectors have a problem with that. And that's why a lot of inspectors, I think, are, are single man operators because they can't let go of that. Yep. Um, but I'm happy if they find all the major stuff that I found. And that's, I think most people should just be happy with that. Yeah. Wonderful advice. Practical. Yeah. Um, we covered so much. I'm so excited for this to get out. Um, let's keep going for like another 10 hours. <laughs> We're definitely going to do a part two guaranteed. Um, we'll pick a topic and just run with it in the future. I think that'll be a blast. Um, and we can make it specter facing. We can just talk to the world. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time and, and, you know, and taking two hours out of your day to, to chat with us. This has, has been, it been two hours in two hours, man. Um, anything that I missed or anything obvious that, um, I should have asked you or anything you kind of just want to put out into the entrepreneurial and inspector world. I don't think there's anything you miss, but I, I did want to ask you, uh, like just ask you a question. Yeah. Um, 
is that like, you know, you know you've been an agent and you've kind of uh, come into the inspection industry, have your, your software company. What's a, what's a failure or what's like your biggest failure and how did you kind of overcome that? And what's the story behind that? Great question with inspector or just in life in general, just, just up to this point in your life. Yeah. Let's, <clears throat> I'm usually not ready to answer questions. You caught me off guard here. So, <laughs> um, it's kind of a fun story actually. So I had, um, my daughter, my only daughter at this point, um, unplanned in college. So had her early, at an early age, had to grow up quickly, um, was a single dad for six, seven years, just doing it with the help of my parents. And so I was inspired early on in her life, um, just to provide, like to provide for her, to not have her, um, grow up wanting for anything. And, and that kind of, that was kind of my why I was like, man, I'm going to start something on my own so I could have the freedom to spend time with her and to, to go play volleyball with her and just, um, go to the park with her. So that was part of my why, because it, it killed me leaving her mm-hmm. every day to go to the nine to five or the nine to six job, but in a cubicle when she was at home with my grandparents or a babysitter just killed me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she was young, we went clothes shopping and we'd see all the terrible clothing out there with like a, uh, you know, juicy on the butt for like three-year-old girls. And I was just like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. There's nothing with a better message out here. Like, yeah. so um, at the time, Mike and I, you know, Mike had just moved back out to Denver. We knew we wanted to start a company together. Um, and we, we were both open to anything. I said, Mike, let's start just making shirts with better messages for young girls. I was just like, cause that's something I would buy for my daughter. Right. Um, so we started this company called Kira's collection and it was an apparel company with inspiring messages like about being motivated and uh, about, um, being strong as a young girl, um, you know, had sweat, sweatpants, um, uh, t-shirts, tank tops, all of that. Um, yes. and, I, and I still have hundreds of shirts in my basement, um, from them. Turns out selling physical products are hard. Anything you have to store inventory, um, it's like the opposite of the four hour work week, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you need a warehouse. So, um, you know, we sold a couple, you know, hundreds of shirts each year um, and, and went on for that for two or three years. But something where it was just like, you know, man, this is going to be tough to really scale and be profitable and sustainable, no matter how good the message, right? Because distribution comes into play when you're selling shirts. So that kind of fizzled out. And, uh, you know, and now I have free clothing that I give to my, uh, you know, ne- uh, nieces and, you know, Kira still wears some of the shirts to this day and, and find, thinks it's pretty cool. But um, it was something that just didn't take off and pan out, but we learned a ton from it. Right. So <laughs> thanks for asking that. Great question. Yeah. I've never actually told that story really to anyone uh, since starting Spectora, but um, it was, you know, if you look at it from an entrepreneur perspective, a failed venture. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, those are important stories because, you know, again, MJ DeMarco talks about people see the, um, the result without right. seeing the process. And so, you know, they see this guy's got a Lamborghini or he's in a magazine and like, that's amazing that he sold his company, but they don't see the 15 years of grind and the failures. <laughs> and so he said, we focus too much on the result. Yeah. And so it's important for us to, you know, tell our failure stories of the process and that how hard it was. Cause I think people have unrealistic expectations sometimes about, what success is and that it was an overnight success. And, and so, you know, talking about failures and that kind of thing, I, I enjoy hearing those types of stories and kind of what you learn from it and that kind of thing. So that's why I appreciate your story so much because we are in the Facebook generation of like, you know, um, seeing that overnight success of venture capital and the way these companies right. happen in a couple of years. And so 
hearing a story like yours, you know, someone that doesn't know you might just think, Oh yeah, this guy just starts a software company starts doing well. And he's got a good home inspection company. They have no idea what you had to do to get there. And so I, that's why I love normalizing. Yeah. The grind because it's just more real. Like this stuff right. does not happen overnight. Yeah. I, I, I like hearing him cause you're like, this guy is not, yeah. Like you just said, it wasn't given to him. You know, it's, there's a grind there that we don't see. There's late nights. There's things that didn't work and failures. There's, you know, times when you're crying and you're like, this did like, what am I going to do? And I like those stories. Yeah. And I, that's so funny. We'll keep talking more, um, you know, again, and maybe even and dive more into these stories. Cause I completely agree. I can empathize so much with, you know, the, the midnight work and waking up at 5am and the wife saying like, Hey, you gonna, is this going to pull in any money anytime soon? You know? Yeah. And we all and, get it. And you're just like, just wait, just, don't lose <laughs> faith. just wait. It's funny. Cause, uh, um, just real quick, when I started inspecting, um, my wife, I, I didn't used to do mobile. I used to just take a camera and mm -hmm. take all the pictures. And most of the pictures were just telling me what I needed to put in the report. So I'd take a picture of the brick siding and then and I put the comment, the sighting type was brick. And then I delete that picture. It didn't end up going in the report. So when I first started inspecting, I literally woke up at seven, did my first inspection at eight. Um, in the summertime, I did an inspection from seven to nine because it was still light outside. And I come home and I have to download all those pictures, upload them all into the software, caption them all individually. Each one takes at least three clicks each picture. Uh, figure out which ones I wanted to put in. So I was going to bed at 2 a.m. Um, and my wife is like, if you're going to start this, you need to at least do six inspections a month. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> six inspections is a lot. I think we did six. We did six yesterday. And so it's funny, but, but yeah, it just those stories, those origin stories are the, the times that, that you struggled or hadn't made it yet. It's, I, I just like hearing about those. Oh yeah. It's what makes us. It's how we get better, man. But nobody tells them. I know. Cause we all want to seem like we just are a superhuman and just do it. Cause yeah. we're great. But they just say, we're doing a million dollars <laughs> this year. Well, what were you doing five years ago? I want to hear that yeah. story. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, very cool. I, we'll wrap this up. But again, we're going to do a part two and three for sure. Okay. Uh, but thank you so, so much. I look forward to the blip integration coming out soon or, um, you know, maybe even by the time people hear this and see this, but thanks again. Um, this has been wonderful and uh, I'm sure everyone will get lots from this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to doing it again. Right on. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks Kevin. All right.
Hey everybody, Kevin Wagstaff here. This is part two of a two-part episode with Sheehan Thompson. If you missed the first part, just go back and uh, play that if you kind of want to hear a little bit about his story, his entrepreneurial journey. Um, really great story, so rec- highly recommend it. Um, but if you're just here for part two, that's cool too. So I hope you enjoy the next hour of my conversation with Sheehan.